Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever in the world you may be. I am Nicole BZ, and you know everything. <laughs> this is the Quantum Business Book Club. And if you're looking for an explanation as to why I called it that, why I love books, why I love reading, why I love time traveling, <laughs> I love sitting at the table with masters, even though it's just me at this table right now. We'll end a few seagulls, but I digress very early on. Focus BZ. I um I've got coffee. This is a video podcast. I've heard that some people have like a real pet peeve around drinking on camera. I'm not even supposed to be drinking coffee, so take that. We're at my mom's apartment. And for anyone who's been paying attention, I very recently took a hard left and ended up back here in Southern California caretaking for her. We had a we had a good night last night. <laughs> been reflecting on the fact that I'm not a mom. And one of my girlfriends called me the other day around like 6.37 and she's like, oh, I realize this is probably your like bedtime routine now, huh? Like dinner, bath, bed. And I was like, nailed it. But the difference is I can't pick up this toddler. And when this toddler pees all over the floor in the middle of the night, it's a lot of pee. <laughs> and I had to beg this person this morning who like every 15 minutes are on refresh. So it, uh, it didn't work, but... She may or may not be joining us today. And, you know, we're just going to do the best that we can. Anywho, BZ, let's get this ball rolling. So Quantum Business Book Club. And this is a book. This was an interesting one for me because, you know, one of the reasons I love these books and I started off with some very old school, you know, hundred year old books is that I feel like when I read these books, I'm sitting at the table with the author in the moment in their context and also in mine. So we're like bringing together these disparate times and technologies and understanding and able to co-create this really unique, really interesting perspective. And that's what I want you to do today with this book, The Human Fabric by, and forgive me, I'm going to mispronounce this, Bijoy Goswami. I read this book. This book was pointed out to me when I was still doing my, I called them my conference tours, but when I was in the music industry, kind of every April, there are a whole bunch of conferences. It starts with South by Southwest. That's sort of like March-ish. And then there was the LA Expo. There was the London Expo. There was a Muse Expo in Singapore. So you could kind of go like around the world and hit all your key players. All of the music industry people that you needed to speak with would be at these things. So you could kind of take care of a year's worth of global interfacing, <laughs> meeting with people in a matter of weeks. And so Goswami was one of the people in Austin, Texas, that was part of the bootstrapping sort of movement, which was this idea of when you have a concept and you're bringing a product to market, do it as quickly and as bare bones as possible. So you're taking, you know, this is after the sort of 19, like late nineties, early two thousands implosion of the internet. And so people were trying to figure out how can we test these platforms and this software and also not like go bankrupt again. So in that this particular author discovered through a variety of different settings. I think the author was actually born in India, but raised in Singapore and then found himself, I think it, it was Stanford University. I could be getting indifferent. I've been reading a lot recently. So one of the other things I've realized is I refer back to this book often and I was getting it completely wrong. <laughs> so the concept was right, but the terminology was wrong. I'll get into that in a second. But I liked this book because I can get a little bit outer worldly. And what I mean by that is 
I get slightly obsessed with what I'm working on. I'm kind of on my own planet and I'm independent to a fault. And I sometimes forget that like there's other people and they matter and not in a way that like, I don't think of other people as being hugely important, but that their opinions of me or their receptivity of my ideas or my desires is important in order for me to be able to go like down the rabbit hole. And when I first started my own business, I was completely by myself. Like I spent, can you hear the seagulls? (laughs) Ambiance. But I seriously spent like 18 months either behind a computer or in a very, very small dark room because it was a recording studio, like not in, like not interfacing, not talking with other people. I thought I was the business side of things. And my job was to bring in revenue, fine tune the operating systems and make sure that we were solvent, AKA making money as quickly as possible. Cause we had to outlay a lot for different equipment. So I, you know, was head down, butt up and just working my tits off. And I had just come out of a year's worth of study in terms of audio engineering, website development, graphic design. And I was in a foreign country. I've talked a lot about this. I'm repeating myself. Apologies. Sorry, not sorry. And it wasn't going well. (laughs) Like this, like not working with other people or paying a lot of attention to them thing had kind of ostracized me. And I didn't have a lot of friends at the time. My housemates were pretty happy for me to just keep to myself. And I found myself doing what I do best, which is work. And, you know, getting up, walking into the city, headphones on. Thank you, Radiohead. You got me through through those few months, the entire discography. It was a moment. And, you know, I'd walk into the city, I'd go into the studio, and I'd be there from sunrise until sunset. And then I would go to the studio we were building, construct it. Once that was done, I was in full computer mode, creating all of the marketing assets, all of the branding assets, the business plan, the contracts, reaching out to different labels to get distributors, so on and so forth. And I had business partners because I was at least astute enough to know I need network and I need creative. And it was actually a producer. I can't take full credit for this. It was a producer who had hit me up to build the studio with him, knowing that I would be the business and he would be the creative. And then we found a networker. We found someone who everybody knew who could, I don't think sell ice to Eskimos is like an appropriate thing to say anymore, but that was the first thing that came to mind, uh, was a beautiful salesman. And we were all very, very happy in our little pods we did not overlap. We very much respected what the other one brought to the table. And it actually created a very successful trio. And as I'm even telling the story, I'm remembering like, wow, this is the perfect example for why I loved this book. So this book, The Human Fabric, was written by someone who, similarly to me, really appreciates feeling like They are an expert. They are a resource. They understand the intricacies of what it is that they're working on. And that's where they shine. They value information. However, in order to be successful, they need other people. And even though relating to other people might not be their strongest quality, just like all information is valuable, so is that understanding of how to work with other people best. 
And so what Goswami did was kind of break people down into one of three categories. And this is another reason that I really love this book is there aren't 16, like hello, Enneagram. There aren't the big five personalities. This doesn't label who you are. This isn't a personality test. This is also why I always love my energy leadership index because it's an attitudinal assessment. It measures the energy you have in particular scenarios and gives you a framework to choose a different perspective, a different attitude, a different energetic state, because it may or may not be advantageous to you to get what you want. The MRE, which is what the human fabric describes as the framework, the MRE framework, gives you one of three motivations. And so this was like the first aha moment that I had for me that I was like, oh, you mean other people don't just want to spend every waking second of their day reading and learning and geeking out on shit? Like, huh, some people value relationship. Some people value action. And in this particular framework, what Goswami suggests is that you have a dominant, he calls it your major. So your MRE major, and then you have a minor. I'm going to go through each of these different categories of the three categories, but I just wanted to kind of give you that pretense. And then I'm going to give you a little bit of background. We're going to get into it. As you're listening to this, I know you're immediately going to jump to what am I? Which one am I? Who do I relate to? Which, what are my hows? What are my whys? But I would encourage you to think about this from the framework of what are their whys? This book is on this list and I'm discussing it in the Quantum Business Book Club because it will enable you to motivate and galvanize anyone, but especially in terms of hiring and teamwork when you need a performance plan for somebody, which means you've got someone that is not performing to their best ability and pretty much you have a legal requirement, but also let's like like a human requirement to do your best to position this person for success. You hired them, right? No one wants to do a bad job. So it's about going, okay, why is this happening? And I will tell you, my friend, every single business leader that I've ever worked with, when I ask what motivates your team, they don't know, or they, they start discussing what motivates them. And it's super, supernatural. <laughs> It's not supernatural. It's very, very normal, super normal, very natural <laughs> to golden rule it. And that's actually where Goswami starts is with the golden rule, treat others as you would treat, have them treat you. And I actually heard this, I don't know how I feel about it, but the platinum rule as in treat others how they want to be treated. And that's really where I think this framework, firstly, because of its simplicity, but secondly, because it it like connected the dots for me that everyone's got a different why. The thing about breaking it down so simply is that we're actually pretty different. And so when you have like 16 different angles, like it's going to be even, you know, relatable, but different. But when you have three, you're going to fall into one of those categories fairly obviously. So are other people. And when you're not in the same category, it's challenging to relate to each other unless you're in the relators category that we'll get there. <laughs> but the point being, it goes beyond just, oh, what your motivation is might be a little bit different than mine. Or you know how I always like to talk about your values. And so if your value is in direct conflict with mine, we're going to need to negotiate that, especially in business so that we don't feel like we're sacrificing. This will aid in that because it's like, well, if you're a maven and I'm an evangelist, 
we now understand our basic motivational points. And now we can start to navigate these values in a manner that's going to ensure everybody wins. So I've dropped a few terms here. Let's let's get into it. So the MRE framework presented by Bijoy Goswami and the human fabric is mavens, relatables, relatables, relators, BZ, you should know that, relators. <laughs> See, I've been referring to these uh, wrong, conceptually right, terminology a little bit off. So mavens, relatables, and evangelists. Each one of these describes our core motivator. So this is our core why, how we interact with each other and how they interact with you. This is the how and why you make certain choices, why you do anything. Again, you can see how this would inform the motivations, not just for you, but for the people that you're working with. And he actually goes much further into like interpersonal relationships and romantic relationships. I'm going to stay focused on the business stuff for obvious reasons. But if you enjoy this, I highly encourage the book. It's it's actually a really great read. And there's a ton of examples in there as well as how these three work with each other. And he gives a lot of examples of like celebrity and like really famous people and how they demonstrate each one of these particular categories. Again, the core that Goswami suggests is that it is your underlying driver in everything you do. Now, it's funny because he talks about kind of not dissimilar to Stephen Pressfield in The War of Art. He didn't want to write this book, but everybody kept telling him that this framework is incredibly simple and incredibly powerful. And from his perspective, he's not the first one that's come up with this. And he actually goes through a handful of different authors, different researchers, different academics that have presented this sort of three-part framework, everyone from Malcolm Gladwell to the Upanishads. And that's what I thought was interesting because not dissimilar to the to the diamond cutter, very much drawing on Eastern philosophies and Western ways of relating. And so if you're familiar with the yogas, he draws the similarities to, I'm also not going to pronounce this right, Dwana, Bhakti, and Karma. So the yogas of intellect, devotion, and action. So Dwana would actually be very similar to the maven and Bhakti, the yoga of devotion to the relator and action is the yoga karma and very similar to the evangelist in terms of like energetics and motivations and why. So I love that he is continually giving credit where credit's due and suggesting, and it's, it's interesting because he qualifies himself as a maven. And so the idea that these concepts already existed and that he wasn't the first one to come up with this was his main point of resistance, but an evangelist absolutely talked him into writing this book. So just some, a little bit more background on on these three categories, maven, relator, <laughs> relator, relator to relator, and evangelist. No one is 100%, but you are a dominant, you're major, maven, evangelist, or relator. Major would refer to your core type. Again, the energy behind everything that you do. Minor is tends to be expressed in very specific situations or scenarios or in specific relationships. He gets into like emulating, which is where we might be copying someone else's motivation or why for a variety of different reasons are probably pretty obvious. I'll get into like where it starts to overlap and get the gray areas. Because for what's so interesting is that you might look at someone and assume there's something based on 
the structure of their lives. But what you're missing is their core why. So the major, again, is their dominant expression, and it is their core underlying motivation. Minor is what shows up in specific scenarios or, or situations. So he also suggests, he calls them the 40s. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'll go through this because this is a book review essentially and a book club where we're discussing different points. So I'd be really curious to hear what you think about this. I found it a little bit redundant, but potentially reductive. The 40s are discover, deepen, dance, and do it again. Dance actually, now that I say that, is probably pretty interesting. But the first just being like, listen. So that's how we're going to use these the 40s as you go through this little podcast. But like when you hear me go through Maven, Relator, and Evangelist, feel into what feels like you. Certain things, I think you'll be able to relate to the different sort of points and descriptors in each of these. Because again, we experience all of these energies. However, you are a dominant. So first and foremost, discover your true core why. Then deepen your understanding of how to be authentic. And that's something that this framework also absolutely gives you permission, are boundaries around your core motivations and honoring that. You are not like everybody else. Everybody is not like you. By allowing somebody to really focus on what it is they do best and why, you are empowering them. By not overlapping your own values or motivations onto theirs and suggesting they should be doing it the same way as you, you are empowering yourself. And so it really, like, that's why I love these three. This, like, the fact that there's three is, we're, we're, you know, we're not dealing with like thousands of iterations of how people show up. It's super simple. And everyone falls into one of these three categories. You can, this might not be your favorite framework. But it's so simple. And, you know, there's a reason I also left this book till the very end, as I think we've talked so much about structure and systems and money and finance and energy and mindset and solutions like problem solving and solutions. This is where we really start to get into how can you perform at your best and work with others? Because in order to be successful, that needs to happen. And delegation, team building, scaling can only occur when we understand how we work and how others work and how to leverage that most effectively. So firstly, discover your core. Secondly, deepen your understanding. And then third, dance. And this is where we start to like play with others and really start to actually respect and celebrate someone else's motivations that might be different than yours. And you'll see like how easily it is for judgment to pop up when someone's coming at you and operating from a completely different why. Last, do it again. <laughs> so it's the same as, you know, design theory with iterate and improve. Essentially, the last step just reminds us that this is a continual process. And whenever we think we get to the end, that probably means we're back at the beginning, ready to start again, but with renewed and reinvigorated and, and like redeveloped skills and understanding. So it's like, we're taking that like humble beginners, learners perspective, having practiced already and we're leveling up, but we still don't have the skills to be like the big boss at the end of that level. So this is also a pretty powerful way of working in organizations. And he describes, he describes organizations as also being maven 
relator or evangelist. And so like, as I should probably have saved this, I'm going to save this part for the end. Okay. Okay. So we're going to get into Mavens now and I'm starting with where he starts. I was tempted to leave this one to the end only because I'm a dominant Maven, which I think you're going to, you're going to, you're going to vibe with as I go through this. But Mavens are obsessed with information. They want to acquire as much information as they possibly can. They like to synthesize information so that they can create something new. They can stand on the shoulders of giants, but be continually innovating. They distill massive amounts of of information. Like the internet is the Maven's playground because they can choose and engage and research and go down rabbit holes, but they can like really follow their own path. It's perfect for the Maven because they like to cross pollinate. They like to see things across industries. They like to see things across philosophies, across different disciplines from different people so that again, they can really synergize. They love doing the research. And mavens really only want to communicate when they have something unique to say. That's why Gazami struggled to write this book because he wasn't sure it was something new. It was something worthwhile. And I think with mavens, we can often feel like, like as an example, social media isn't always the best platform for a maven, whereas like email is. Now, I personally hate email, but I love the idea that I can tune in when I want to. I can look at all of the things. I can triage. I know who my priorities are, and I can get back to them. Social media has more of an immediacy, like a, a constant kind of need to like engage and plug, which is more suited for a relator or potentially even an evangelist. Mavens are also verbal processors. It's almost like it needs to be spoken aloud in order for the idea to crystallize and... It's like speaking is thinking for a maven. It's where they really like play with and toy with the idea. They love other mavens. So my maven sees your maven and loves it because we both value information so much. Being knowledgeable, being, you know, this is also where like certifications and study and school really come in. Mavens just appreciate that about each other. And it's, again, it's, I think as someone like personally, I don't give a shit where you went to school. I don't give a shit about your degrees, but I can recognize that that like acquisition of knowledge is a value for people. And it's really easy to say that's like bourgeois and elitist and privileged. Okay. I'm not arguing with that, but what I am saying is that it's also okay for someone to just value that and think it's important and want to invest in it and want to get all of the things. Now, obviously, if that's getting in the way of you actually taking action, an evangelist would have something to say about that. But you know, there's a balance there. I'm not getting into the weeds about that. Just simply recognizing there is a why here. And if someone's core motivator is they appreciate knowledge perhaps getting advanced degrees, advanced certifications is part of their motivator. So a maven persuades through logical, reasonable discussion. Mavens don't like conflict only because it starts to get emotional, right? So they're very logical. And I think it was Aristotle talks about it like ethos, pathos, logos. Am I getting that right? 
obviously logos is the style of persuasion that a maven uses. And so, you know, a maven's going to present you with all the stats. A maven's going to all of the research they're going to talk about, you know, they're going to name drop their different degrees and where they went to school and so on and so forth. Now, for an evangelist or a relator, they they might not give a shit about any of that. And it might feel like they're showing off. But for a maven, part of their why is this logical, logical, reasonable presentation of data. Important to recognize because if you are attempting to persuade a maven, that's what they're going to want to see. I see some people blend these levels, the, the ethos, pathos, and logos very smoothly in that they present the emotional why, they tell a beautiful story, they present the argument in the sense why this position is right. And then they present the data to back it up. And so what you're doing there is actually hitting on all of the different core motivators. Mavens tend to be multi-passionate, but they're not multitaskers. And so how that shows up is like when a maven gets interested in something, it's like full-blown obsession, but it's the only thing that they're interested in that time. It's the only thing they want to talk about. It's the only thing they want to listen to. It's the only thing they want to engage with. (laughs) But, you know, after, after a few go arounds, there, there have been a few things, obviously, that they've gotten into. And so they show up as multi-passionate, but can be very single-minded. And this is where we start to get into a little bit more of the like the weeds with this, where you might look at someone and think, like especially an evangelist, you might think that they're a maven because they seem so well-versed in a particular topic. But really, the evangelist is actually someone who is just incredibly passionate about a topic and presents it in a very, very compelling way. So again, a maven is probably going to an excel, to excel in a role or in an organization where research data, being an expert, you know, being perceived as the best is the value, is the main driver. That that's going to be a very optimal space for a maven to engage in. Now, some of you listening to this are definitely going to be like, fuck that. Those people drive me crazy. You're probably not a maven. Some of you are like, oh my God, ding, ding, ding. It's me. It's me. It's me. <laughs> so recognize that like, and I'll, as we start to get into the others, you're going to see a lot of similarities where mavens can kind of go awry. I think obviously analysis by paralysis paralysis by analysis, paralysis by analysis, where they can get stuck in the weeds and get down at the bottom of the rabbit hole that technically never ends, right? And so just knowing that you can retreat into your cave of learning, useful. And having other people around you that can balance you, very, very helpful. It can be a little alienating both to experience being a maven, but also to be around a maven because they're not like that engagement, that relationship, the relating with others just isn't a core driver for a maven. And like what I loved about this was, is not dissimilar to human design, but like human design labels who you are. Whereas this to me just simply gives you permission to understand where you're coming from. And a a maven can have a huge, massive network of people, but because those people value the information exchange, that's where you'll find a maven isn't interested in like small talk or chit chat. It's useless information. (laughs) 
they will engage in it, recognizing that that's like how you have a conversation. And so it can feel like a little disingenuous until you stumble upon the thing that the maven is like currently obsessing with. And so that's, they're always going to go for the jugular. Like they're always going to want to get into it and deeply and as quickly and, and efficiently as possible. It's the same thing about with like maven organizations. They're incredibly efficient at being the best. Kind of on that same note, mavens can, can tend to underestimate the importance of relationship and connection mainly because it is of a higher value for relators and evangelists. But additionally, there can be a, a pretty, I mean, there can be a lack of balance for all, for all of these when they get like very much into their own space. But the point is, is that mavens, mavens were incredible, but we definitely, we need others a lot more than we'd like to admit. So relators, MRE, we're going with relators next, just because that's the framework. Relators, their core driver is other is relating to other people. <laughs> Quite obvious. They are continually building relationships. And unlike mavens, where mavens are like, like, what do we have in common? Like, what is our shared interest? How can we exchange information to empower each other? And like, you know, my main driver essentially in discussing is to learn. I want to learn. I want to learn about you. I want to learn if you are interested in what I'm interested in. With a relator, they don't care their whole driver is just relationships. They value the network and they actually experience their world as a network of people. And this was really interesting because uh, I stumbled upon some inspirational quote the other day that said, powerful people or impactful people don't discuss people, they discuss ideas. Relators discuss people because it's through the interconnection of people that they interpret their world. And so they will check up on people. They will talk about you with somebody else to make sure that they're understanding correctly what that person's drivers and motivators and, and importantly, what their context is. They perceive the world through relationship. And so as a maven, I can get a little judgy about this. I can feel when somebody is just trying to network with me. When I was in LA, when I was in a position that I had, a, I had people perceived me as having access to something very, very exclusive, the relators found me. But I didn't share that same driver and that same motivation. So it felt manipulative, but that was just my own judgment. And now I can step back and think like, what a powerful recognition, what a powerful ability to just find exactly who they need to talk to in order to make that connection and connect those dots for them. So they are particularly driven to continually build on relationship. I have an amazing long-term friend of mine who is absolutely a relator. He checks in regularly, but not like it's on a calendar. Like, you know, there's some people that are literally, especially I think in sales that like are calling you at very specific intervals. It's intuitive for a relator. A relator just knows it's time. It's time to reconnect. It's time to check up. It's time to get context. And they are highly empathic, like innately empathic. They can just read a room. They can read a person. They can read the mood. And obviously this makes them incredibly powerful paired up with a maven. They're, everyone's powerful paired up, but like relators and mavens could make almost like the, the dynamic duo. You know you're with a relator because they immediately help you feel at ease. 
And this is where I was like, oh, maybe I'm a relater. Um, I don't know that I make everybody feel at ease, but especially a maven where we're sharing, like when we're jiving, I can 1000% make them feel at ease because I'm going to obsessively question everything they're fascinated by. And it sort of pedestalizes them and makes them feel seen and appreciated and heard, which I mean, everybody loves, but especially a maven when they're like doing their thing. And, and I do have like very deep, very powerful relationships. So when we get to evangelist, I'm gonna let you guess what my minor is, but Relators live in the emotional, and so they break down barriers and instill trust first and foremost. Building relationships for them is incredibly important, and they do it slowly, sustainably. The author actually likened this to doing business in Japan. Like The first step is personal connection before you ever get to business or money. They are able to intuit the individual agendas so that you can co-create something that is very powerful and motivating for all. So whereas a maven is like, can be a little self-serving, a relator wants to make sure everybody's agendas are getting addressed. And they do this without even trying. It's, it's incredibly powerful. They don't assign value to a relationship. So they're not looking to to say, well, you're better, you're worse, or, you know, you're my boss and you're my employee. Every relationship is innately valuable for a relator and they don't even need to know why. Like every single day, it's so interesting because the author was talking about networking events. Relators don't do networking events because every event for them is a potential networking event. They think networking events are contrived and fake, but a maven would love a networking event because it should position them efficiently in a room with people who are interested in the exact same thing, like even if it's just building a relationship. So I thought that was like an interesting kind of comparison. Relators do need validation and they do seek out approval. My little brother feels a lot like this major to me. You know, his entire experience is social. And every minute of every day, he's creating opportunities to engage with other people. And a lot of it is to validate who he is and how he shows up. And it's really important for him to get approval. Whereas a maven isn't seeking that out as obviously. So a relator is, is very emotional. It's that empathy, that empathic, like intuitive empathic nature of theirs. So they can show up a little bit argumentative. I think it is pathos so that can be a little argumentative. A relator can also be judgmental just in the sense that the right people, the right relationships being right matters to a relator in a way that it it's not, it doesn't show up for mavens. Evangelists, yes, but in a different way. A relator can be loyal to a fault because relationship is so important because they take so much time and energy to develop relationships. They tend to hold on to relationships long after they are beneficial. This is especially in organizations. A relator organization is the type of organization that highly values each and every stakeholder. So the customer is always right. They have amazing benefits programs for their employees. They're highly invested in their team. They're the types of organizations that they always hire from within. People stay with for 20, 30 years. And you can see like a Maven organization might not find that as efficient 
a relator organization's probably been around for a really long time. They've got a ton of brand loyalty. They're very high touch. So a relator organization is often like a, a very high end experience as well. And it, it can take a long time to get it going. It also can withstand things that something like a maven or an evangelist organization may not. So yeah, I, I don't know that I got so into the Maven organization. Maven, Maven organization wants to be the best, wants to be the trailblazer. They want to be first to market. They really want to stand out amongst the rest. Their profit line is going to be important. Okay. So last thing that I just kind of want to say about relators, and this is where this is where I think relator shows up as my minor, even though you might argue it's evangelist. They can be very unstructured. They, because of their innate sort of intuition, they like things to be spontaneous and they find the magic is in the moment. And so meetings, presentations, talks, engagements, events, they're not going to have every minute organized. Whereas a maven absolutely will. An evangelist will have every minute organized, but from a different perspective. So let's get into evangelists. So I have my notes, <laughs> but it's like so sticky here that the paper started crumpling. So I, had, I have to give it away now. Anywho, so evangelists, uh, they make things happen. And the I thought a really cool example, just simply because it's so prevalent and there've been so many movies about it in terms of like Maven, evangelist and relator and evangelist, very obviously Steve Jobs. We'll get into that because we're going to talk about evangelists. But Maven would be Steve Wozniak. The I might have mispronounced that as well. I'm going for it today. That was the engineer that Steve got to like do all of the things. So when he was the programmer at Atari, it was his buddy, like his old school friend, that he got to actually build the thing, and then came with him to Apple to actually build the prototype. So Wozniak was the Maven. Steve was. The evangelist. And then the other Steve, what was his name? Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was the engineer. Mike Gula, (laughs) the investor guy, the like super, super schlick investment guy. He was the relator. He knew everybody. He had a highly, he was highly networked, but most importantly, people trusted him. That's what the relator does because of their network is they are credible. People believe them, people trust them. And so when they go to present you with something, it's not that hard of a sell because you you already highly value what they have to say because they have built a relationship with you. And so with Mike, he was able to come in as the investor and take the prototype that Wozniak had built immediately to the right people in the right places. Like not only did he understand the relationships involved and like the you know, fledgling computer industry, but he understood the industry as a network of relationships. And so was able to position this product exactly where it needed to be at the right time in front of the right people in order for it to become the Apple computer that we know of today. Now, Steve Jobs was the evangelist and evangelists core driver is action making things happen. This is where like I was, I mean, I'm still a little bit torn between is my minor relator or evangelist, but I would love to hear from you what you think. They always have a cause. Life is about action. Their communication is almost always an active persuasion. 
when an evangelist is talking with you, they're literally trying to convince you of what it is that they're saying at all times and and not even like consciously aware of it. That's just their MO. They are continually and like because what they want to do is inspire you. They want you to be as excited as they are about whatever it is that they're talking about. They value knowledge, but only if it is useful and practical and their relationships are opportunistic. So this is where like evangelists and mavens could show up very similarly. And this is also why Goswami is so clear to say like how you show up, how people perceive you is what he would describe as your personality. Now, what your core driver is, this is where the first step is discover. And then the second step is deepen your understanding because you're going to start to realize what motivates you is different than how you show up. And that's why you have a major and a minor. Your minor is like kind of how you show up in certain situations because it enables your major, your core driver. So an evangelist is an adventurer. They are always out on a quest. They need constant activity. Now you can see how a relator might look like an evangelist, kind of depending on your purview. An evangelist wants to be right. They have strong opinions. And in fact, they debate for fun. Again, I love taking, I always say the devil's advocate, the contrarian thinking. I'll I'll say, like, I'll disagree just, just to banter. I think it's really entertaining. I think it creates for really interesting conversation. That's how you know. My motivation is to learn is to discover similarities. And so if you say something, I'm going to most likely take the opposite standpoint, not because I actually disagree with you, but just because I'm, I'm, I'm looking to expand both of us and to see like, how deep does this go? And where do we come together on it? Also feels like a relator. So it does take some, some dancing. Step number three, evangelists energize, inspire, and galvanize the listener. They're core driver is to get you to do something. They use ethos to persuade. So they, it's like their personality catalyzes you to take action. They're, these are like the types of people that are like infectiously inspiring that like after spending time with them, you feel energized and like you could take on the world. They engage and feel familiar, but it's not reciprocal. So evangelists, not dissimilar to a maven, can feel a little disconnected because it's like they're all, like they're selling you all of the time. And if you're a maven, or especially if you're a relator, so a maven, if you're not interested in what it is they got, you're you're going to be out and disconnected. A relator is going to feel that this isn't a like an even exchange. This is you talking at me and that's where the relators like cockles and like judgment can really pop up. An evangelist doesn't care. <laughs> so an evangelist is just there like jibber jabbering, trying to get you on board, trying to get you to see what they have, like the way that they see the world because they perceive that as like the right way. They speak in absolutes and extremes. Evangelists are phenomenal marketers and salesmen and salespeople and on social media and like just online in general, they get a lot of attention and they can feel very, very successful in the space because it's kind of designed for that level of like polarization and galvanizing. They can really dominate like a platform or a channel, whereas Maven's 
do better kind of getting to choose and, and getting to be someplace that is like almost a, a level, like a more passive level of engagement. Relators love social media. And they're going to have like all, like they're going to be on all of the platforms all of the time, continually engaging. It's really going to work for them. Evangelists tend to like pick one. So this is like your YouTuber or your, your speaker. They find one and they, they like dominate in it. They can over communicate for effect, <laughs> but they can communicate very, very complex topics in a simple and exciting way. And then again, this is kind of where sometimes I wonder, like, am I the evangelist? We'll get into that in one second. Problem with evangelists, they have zero patience and they don't really care. Like they are, it's it's interesting. They're obsessively passionate about something, but they're not going to give you the same level of passion about something that they're not interested in, if that makes sense. So although they might show up like they're, you know, incredibly charitable or philanthropic. It'll be about the thing they care about. They're not going to be charitable and philanthropic across the board. So they might be into like child welfare or the environment, but they're not going to be into animals or, you know, vice versa. Again, I think like this is where it becomes so important to really think about people's motivations and their core. Why? This simply, because it's so easy to judge. And people will look at evangelists and think they're selfish or they're self-involved or they're living in a fantasy world because they're living in, they are living in their own world. They just have different motivations and different interests, different things spark them up. So they can appear to be detached. They can appear to be very contrarian, um, potentially even activating, but in a, in an irritating kind of way. Because they they do they want to be right in a way that a maven or a relator doesn't. An evangelist is very much like they have an agenda and their mission is to get it accomplished, to get people to take action. So I think we've got our three different frameworks here, right? And the evangelists, like as far as an organization goes, these are the change makers. This to me feels like the disruptors, the people who are, are trying to change the world or organizations that are trying to change the world, like Amazon, clearly an evangelist organization, Apple, clearly a maven organization, social media or meta relator, right? So with that, just kind of understanding we're all going to be coming from different places. It's not right or wrong. And so how can you work with these motivators and recognize these motivators and other people? You might think like a salesperson would be the best evangelist, perhaps, depending on your product. But I think like for me, it's like seeing this matrix and knowing like, I, I just want a balance. I want a balance of people around me. I want a balance of people working with me. I want a balance of people that I am, you know, networked with because that, you know, Maven's like, I'm going to want to have as many people in my experience that can like geek out with me on things, but we're probably not partnering up with each other. Whereas I'm going to want the evangelists to inspire me and to show me like, where is the next thing that I'm probably going to get obsessed with? And how can you help me understand why this matters and why this is important? Because for a maven, that's if I'm not interested in it, it's probably not going to be the most immediate thing that I then focus on. But evangelists can help me see this would be incredibly useful for you. And here's why. Um, 
when you are able to really focus on what it is you do best and stop trying to be everybody else. So this is where he talks a lot about emulating. Emulating is when we actually try to be something we're not because we perceive it as of a high value. So oftentimes mavens can want to be an evangelist because an evangelist would get their idea across the line in a way that a maven probably just isn't going to be able to, unless they're in a situation with another maven who values what it is <laughs> like they're currently obsessing over. Right. So when you emulate, and I think I emulated being a relator major for most of my twenties and thirties and the sense of like really trying to make us, you know, build as many relationships as possible really. And, and the way that always felt best for me was to do it slowly to find common things, not necessarily work or an agenda. Like it, it you know, I don't, I have judgment around that as well. If I'm being transparent, like I don't want to talk to somebody or meet somebody just because I think they can do something for me. Um, and evangelists would have absolutely no problems doing that whatsoever. And so by putting so much time and energy into relationships, even though that wasn't my core driver, I would exhaust myself. When I recognized that by simply obsessing over what it is that I love, like books, I'm going to attract the people that want to talk about that with me. And then it's no issue for me to have a relationship with that person and to really appreciate like... We're not going to say, I don't even say hello when I pick up the phone with my people. I just start talking about the reason that I wanted to talk to them and they're fine with that. So it, it creates this level of efficiency and reciprocity for me that is incredibly rewarding. But yeah, can feel to a relator that doesn't know me well that I haven't built that trust up well with, it's going to feel disingenuous. So it's just like really helpful for me to understand my core driver. And then I'm only really needing to wrap my head around two other core drivers, which I find incredibly useful. It gave me the ability to find support that's going to support me, especially when you have limited resources. I think evangelists really like to surround themselves with people who will agree with them. Notice that because that can become very insular. So if you don't feel like you have the ability to resource yourself every which way that you need, whether it's building a team, whether it's scaling your business, whether it's the right relationships or the right partnerships or the right influence in your industry, looking at this will give you, you know, just finding one evangelist, just finding one relator as a maven is going to be all you actually need. Vice versa, an evangelist finding a maven who will balance them who will logically and reasonably present other alternatives to their singular point of view will make them more accessible and approachable and potentially less volatile to the people that they're working with. Because an evangelist can be very, very not emotional. That's the relator, but it's pathos. So they, they, they believe that they are right. They are incredibly persuasive. They are the most persuasive and they're going to use all of the tools available to them in order to persuade you, but they won't let it go either. The need to be right is very real. And that's been something just super helpful for me to understand in terms of how an evangelist works, how a relator works and how I work. So lastly, I can't emphasize enough that just choosing from one of three and just play with it, discover, deepen, dance, right? And then do it again. One of these cores is really going to show up for you. Again, you're not a hundred percent anything, but you are a major and then you have a minor. Minor is how you show up in certain situations or in certain relationships, but major is your core driver. So again, mavens want to acquire, synthesize, and create knowledge. 
relators simply want to relate to people. They, they perceive their world through their network of relationships and evangelists want to make things happen. They have a cause, they want to create action. They're, they communicate to persuade and they like, everything is, is just really a matter of like that, that cause and their, their ability to persuade you to get on board. It's okay. Like there's no better or worse. It's, it comes down to a core driver, a motivator. And when you are able to understand what yours is and what someone else's is, this is where you can create real synergy and real support for you. This is where you can focus on how you work best, why you work best and who you can work with in a way to, again, create the most success for everybody. This is how I think you can really step into, you know, everyone's looking for their purpose or like the the dream job. And when you solidify these understandings, I think it creates this opportunity to pioneer for yourself, like to finally find that thing in your life that feels like this is it. And I don't, you know, I've said forever, like, I don't know that I'll find that one thing, but even if it's like in a moment where you're like, yes, like it's all coming together. Like I have the support. I know my role. I know my why I'm genuinely excited to wake up in the morning and like do the damn thing. This is also like, and I think for you listening, you're listening to this because you are ambitious. You do feel called, you want to make improvements. You are in like the development game, whether it's professional or personal or like globally, (laughs) like you, you can see the way that the world could be and you are interested in and taking action on creating that, that reality that you desire. This is how you serve is by really stepping into this energy of why it's your how and your why. So I can hear (laughs) that just, had to ask my mom to, to for a minute and my voice is going. So I'm just going to abruptly end the maven in me sees the maven in you (laughs) recognizes. I no longer feel as if I have more information to convey. So I'm going to chop it. When you are listening to this, I am likely rolling out or have just launched the love your work workshop, love your workshop, love your workshop. I just finished up the biz boost. Everything's happening in the discord container. All of my latest and greatest fun ways of working with each other will be in the show notes. You can always join me in the discord. That's where I am engaging and it's where some other fun people, other people just like you who are entrepreneurs, who are change makers, who are dreamers and who are doers are getting together. And we're just, it's very low key. There's no pressure to perform. It's not like a Facebook group. (laughs) You show up, you check in. I shared the things that I'm currently obsessing over. And it's just a container, aptly titled The Container, that is going to grow and evolve with every single person that joins. So I very much hope to see you in there. If you feel like you benefited from this and you know someone who might, please share this episode, like it, review it, get involved. Don't. It's up to you. But thank you so much for listening. Thank you for taking the time to invest in your success. And I love you. Thank you for being here. 